Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, June 18th. So much going on right now in the professional tennis world. Of course, the biggest storyline of them all. The fact that it really does seem like we are going to see sanctioned professional ATP, WTA, and ITAF events during this 2020 calendar year. And that's something certainly to be excited about if you are a tennis fan. Now, of course, there is a long time until tennis is scheduled resumption of play, and a lot of things could change between now and then. Uh, but details are finally starting to emerge about what professional tennis might look like if it returns this season. Things such as will events be played without fans? Where will events be played? What will the circumstances be of those events? We're finally starting to learn those details. And of course, the most prevalent events, uh, the Grand Slams, the U.S. Open, the French Open, each uh, tournament holding press conferences today to offer us more details about the specifics behind the event, what are the player entourages going to look like, how many players will be there, which of the events, singles, doubles, mixed doubles, juniors, etc., will actually be being played, are the draws going to be compromised to accommodate to the situations, all of those details and more finally starting to emerge, and then again, we actually have a tentative schedule right now for both the ATP and WTA tours released for what we should expect to see moving forward. Uh, There are a lot of fun topics, and of course, there's a lot of information to be had. There's also the ongoing really fun exhibitions such as the Ultimate Tennis Showdown, Patrick Moore to lose. Uh, we'll, we'll call it an exhibition event, I suppose. Of course, the play looking different than anywhere else in tennis, divided into four quarters of action, different scoring than you're used to, different power-ups that can be used, and that's what I call them affectionately throughout the event. Uh, and of course, those are all fun topics that we are, have to discuss here at Crack Rackets, but that is not going to be the subject of today's podcast, at least here on the mini break, but it is a topic you can hear us explore further on our other podcast mediums on our Great Shot podcast this week. We actually have two conversations for all of you listeners. We have the one I did Monday night in the aftermath of all of this U.S. Open news becoming available. Uh, Of course, now we know more information than we did then, and so I figured we'd re-up the podcast. We talk about the new details now that things are sort of starting to be finalized, and I brought on a Cracked Rackets podcast favorite, someone you listeners will be very well familiar with, of course, writer for the New York Times, host of the No Challenges Remaining podcast. Ben Rothenberg came on our Great Shot podcast to discuss these latest developments regarding the U.S. Open, the sort of things we should expect, our prohibitive favorites for the event, uh, what top players we think might not participate, you know, all of that and more. I'm also, you know, I ask him about the exhibitions and what his thoughts are on them, how tennis as a sport can grow with by utilizing things such as these exhibition formats by changing things up uh, all of that and more that is the subject of the great shot podcast we did today so if those are the topics you are looking for go check out that great shot podcast which you can find on iTunes Spotify and wherever else you listen to your podcast uh, of course here today on the mini break we are really excited because of course we get to continue our series we have started with our friends at Aerobar it's called getting to the point and we focus on the new 
nutritional and fitness aspects of the game. We've had so many fantastic guests thus far through our first three episodes. Michael Russell, a guy who not only went to my high school, but of course was in the top 100 of the ATP for years on end. And, you know, the majority of his results came to the dedication he put both on the court and off the court to the game of tennis. The dedication he gave, excuse me, um, you know, he's so bad, whether it be the nutrition aspect, whether it be the fitness, he was all about that. It's why he's so quickly and successfully transitioned to becoming a professional tennis coach as well. And so we had him, we had Jay Berger, who, of course, former head of player development for the men at the USA, now the current coach of Riley Opelka. His accolades need uh, no more introduction than that. We also had a uh, director of sports performance at the John McEnroe Tennis Academy, Richard John Mensing on. Uh, so, you know, we've really enjoyed these conversations, or at least I can speak to the fact that I have. I think you listeners have as well. Uh, and we're excited to do another one today, and we are joined by a fantastic guest, uh, Bjorn Fortangelo, who obviously is, serves as an ambassador for Aerobar, is all bought into the product, and is who a tremendous tennis player himself, a guy who, if you followed American te- men's tennis closely over the past 10 years, uh, you've probably grown very well familiar with his name, of course. In 2011, he really came to fame after he won the French Open Junior Boys singles title. He beat a guy by the name of Dominic Team in that final. Uh, but he was a guy who was always a top junior amongst his USTA uh, grade, amongst his peers in the country, and a guy who went straight from the junior ranks to the pros. And, you know, he talks about what was, went behind that decision. He talks about, of course, how he got into the game of tennis, the success that he's had throughout, and what he factors behind that success. Um, and then, of course, we talk about the importance of nutrition. Bjorn's a guy who, if you know a bit about him, he's very much into cooking. He's very much into ensuring his body is properly prepared and functioning at its best so that he can go out and play his best tennis at professional events. Uh, we explore all of that and more. And, of course, a huge shout-out, as always, to our friends, uh, Andrew Golib, Mark Aerosmith, over at Aerobar, who are uh, on this interview as well and continue to be will continue to be on these Getting to the Point episodes. Shout-out to them for setting up this guest. And, you know, again, I know how much fun I've had doing these episodes with them. Hopefully, you listeners have enjoyed it as well. Uh, and Bjorn is a fantastic guest because he just really does have such a wealth of experience on tour now. He speaks to a bunch of different issues. Of course, I also ask him about the current issues facing professional tennis, you know, what it's like to be a professional athlete in the midst of a global pandemic, how that's affected his training, his preparation, and then, you know, his thoughts on should professional tennis come back in 2020. You know, he's a guy who might have been in the qualifications for the U.S. Open. Is he okay with them playing the event, uh, but without the qualities and, you know, taking that opportunity away from other players? His thoughts on that situation and more. It is a fantastic interview that, of course, I cannot wait for all of you to hear. Uh, just two more things I, I want to say real quickly. One, of course, if you are not, go check out aerobar.com. We're all starting to make our return to the tennis court. Don't let your nutrition, your health, your your fitness uh, be the reason you're not getting back out there. Get yourself some Aerobars. It's the perfect uh, only tennis-specific energy bar out there. It's a great start to your day. You're going to eat one in the morning, as I have so frequently. Not only will you be full, and you'll be, but you'll be energized and ready to start your day the right way. Uh, and of course, they're delicious as well. And so you go to Aerobar.com. You can order yourself up some. And use our promo code CRACKED15 to get 15% off your order. Let them know uh, that we sent you there because, of course, you know, that is the sort of, you know, we, we would appreciate that. And of course, they are so grateful to continue to support us. The least we can do is ask you to support them as well. I also want to say a big thank you to our
our friends over at Midwest Sports, who of course make this mini break possible day in, day out with their support. And they've been supporting tennis players across the globe for more than 20 years by serving as one of the world's premier tennis equipment suppliers. The reason they do is because they offer a comprehensive selection of fast shipping tennis supplies that few retailers can match. They also have one of the largest in-stock inventories of tennis equipment online with tens of thousands of products available for shipping from their automated warehouse directly to your front door. And I won't lie, folks, I myself am getting ready to get back out on the tennis court. I just got myself a a pair of Midwest Sports Nike Kicks. Uh, That's the shoes I rock. I used the promo code. I had two cans of tennis balls that actually got commandeered for the sake of the Cracked Rackets Open, but they were provided by our friends at Midwest Sports. Uh, But I'm going to go get those graphite strung. I'm ready to make my return to the court. I'm ready to show Parker that I'm not just flash. I'm also substance. And so we're ready to go battle out there. And I know I can turn to my friends at Midwest Sports to fill all of my needs. And, you know, I don't really know what sort of string I should be using at this point of my career. Certainly not the ones I used to because I'm not that sort of athlete anymore. Uh, But I know I can turn to my friends at Midwest Sports to help guide me because they are intimately familiar with all of their tennis equipment and can help me find that perfect racket, perfect shoe, or perfect pair of tennis clothing that is sure to put me ahead of the competition. Their selections of tennis equipment are consistently first to market, and they pride themselves in stocking their tennis warehouse with the newest products at the lowest prices. So go to MidwestSports.com. You're going to want to order yourself up some gear. You're going to see everything that they have, and you're going to like it. Use that promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order. You will uh, also get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And best of all, as I mentioned, you'll get a free uh, can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls because Midwest Sports wants to make sure you have everything you need for your return to the tennis court. So go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. Get 15% off all of your orders and let them know that we sent you there. All right. With that being said, let's get to our latest episode of Getting to the Point our, with our show with our friends at Aerobar with today's guest, the one and only Bjorn Fertangela. Joining us on the podcast today is a player who reached a career high of number 99 on the ATP singles rankings on June 6th of 2016. He was the 2011 Junior French Open Boys Singles Champion, winner of the Mark Aerosmith 15K, and I will say it, a guy with one of the more aesthetically pleasing games in all of tennis. Bjorn Fertangelo, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? That was an awesome intro. Um, Thank you for that. No, I'm good. How are you guys doing? Oh, I appreciate you saying that. We're doing well, doing well. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I have to bring the energy at the beginning, especially at this point. It's month three of quarantine. Things have gotten relatively stale. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll say that I agree with that. But as far as uh, what you just said about me being aesthetically pleasing to watch, I've never heard that before, so I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, take it in whatever connotation you want. I guess that's my way of saying the forehand, the backhand. If you were to script it up, you're showing film to a young rising player and saying, hey, this is the sort of film you should mock, the sort of well-rounded mindset, I suppose. Yours would be the game to, I would point to because I would say, and this is not meant to be uh, you know, a diss, I mean this as a compliment, in terms of the floor as, his ten- as a tennis player, as high floor of any tennis player out there you've got all of the skills yeah i you know i agree with that there's just not a <laughs> one glaring strength or weakness i guess but you know i'm trying 
Yeah, no, take it what it is. Again, hot hot intro, hot start here uh, to the podcast, and obviously it is a great pleasure for us to have you today uh, because you look about you know the ta- past 10 years of American tennis, and certainly if you've been a fan, uh, you know starting off in 2011 with that French Open, you come to so many people's attention, but you were a top junior throughout your career as well. Uh, how did you get started in the game of tennis for our fans who don't know? Yeah, I got started. Um, my dad started me out pretty young. I was about four years old. Um, he was—he really loved tennis. Just played recreationally and really uh, was a student in the game. To actually taught himself how to play, watching um, a lot of films and and things like that. So, um, you know, I think it was uh, kind of the sport that I was always going to go towards. I played other things growing up, but uh, as a kid, I was kind of shy and, and I was always. Uh, you know, good at tennis or better at tennis than I was at the other sports, which were all team sports. Um, so eventually when it came time to kind of like, you know, choose a sport or which one that I would kind of want to take more seriously, not thinking about being a professional at any point in, uh, in that realm. But, um, I, yeah, I chose tennis and, uh, it really helped me a lot kind of, uh, you know, socially and, and gave me a lot of confidence as I, I got better and better. I was like, all right, cool. This is my thing. And I stuck with it. Mm-hmm. And I do want to follow up on that, but the reason I came out with the hot intro is so I could ask this question early on, and when I proposed it to Mark and Andrew beforehand, Andrew didn't get the joke. I'm hoping that you will here. I am sure you get countless questions, Bjorn, about your name. You know, Bjorn Borg, oh, are you named after him? My question to you is this. Would you rather be named Bjorn or Tennis? Oh, man. I don't know. I, you know what? I would – uh. God, uh, I would take Bjorn, honestly. But, I mean, his thing is, it's like, Tennis's, you know, grandfather, I think, his name was Tennis, and, you know, so I don't think it's necessarily, I mean, I guess it's a name in, in their, their family, so, you know, e- either one, they're a little bit unique um, in their own right, but I would say, as uncommon as my name is, it's definitely more common than Tennis. Yeah, no, I would agree with you there. And again, I'm sure you get questions about that. But for you, you talk about finding structure in tennis. And I think that's something a lot of people can relate to, whether it be building your day around training or building your academic and just off-court schedules around knowing the fact that you're going to be you know, traveling 30 weeks of the year to tournaments. Uh, I know you had an injury, uh, you know, a couple of injuries throughout your career. But during this time period, uh, this quarantine period, where there are no tour events and, you know, those first two months it was hard to even find a practice court uh how weird was it for you to not have the structure that tennis has so often provided in your daily life yeah um you know what it it was weird in the beginning um you know it was kind of like okay you know take a pause take a break you know i was still doing the the fitness and the gym work but i stopped hitting balls for about two weeks I would say and you know for me it was an anxious period because I was actually just getting ready to start playing again um so for me it was kind of like a wind out of my sails a little bit um but you know I took it for what it was and and did things around you know the house or whatever that I don't normally do was cooking a lot um but I did miss the structure and I I would say midway through through the lockdown period, I did have a week where I was pretty grumpy and like kind of lost my mind a little bit. It was just, you know, not having something to wake up to and, you know, looking for like a goal to achieve every day. I think that's the part 
that I missed the most, even more than swinging the racket, um, was just kind of waking up and striving for something. Um, so, you know, as things opened up in Florida, cause it, it, it did so, you know, pretty, pretty soon. I think, you know, our state was, uh, you know, I mean, we're getting, I guess we're getting some upswings now with it, but we were pretty successful in the beginning and we, I was able to hit balls pretty quickly afterwards and at least feel like, you know, somewhat of a working citizen, I would say. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was tough. It's, it was tough for everybody. You know, it's, it's not a, not a fun time, you know, a lot of money loss, a lot of, you know, things that, um, are tough for a lot of people, but, you know, just take it for what it's worth. And it's kind of what everyone had to do. No, absolutely. And for you personally, you know, I know you played carry at uh, the beginning of September last year, and then you didn't play through the end of the season. Uh, I got the chance to see you in Ann Arbor. We were there doing the play-by-play call for that challenger, and you were obviously in that event. Uh, for you health-wise, have, you know, you talked about being able to do the fitness and doing the workouts, but, you know, for you to have an additional two, three months to get healthy, is that something do you think was beneficial to you, or do you think, you know, were you ready to go? All systems go in January. Um, no, no, definitely not in January. It took me till about, I would say, to feel a hundred percent pain free. I started feeling that in, um, I would say, the beginning of April. Um, I started feeling pain in my foot. I had a really bad, just case of plantar fasciitis, but it got really bad to the point where surgery was considered, and I started feeling that pain around the. Uh, Newport grass court tournament last year in July. And I basically played on it through us open and, and to carry. And I got, did a cortisone injection after us open and then tried to go to carry. And, um, you know, things just weren't working out and I kept pulling out of events in the fall. And then, you know, I would try to practice and I couldn't practice or if I could practice and afterwards I, I could barely walk. That's kind of how bad it was. Um, so I ended up going to New York city and, and went to, uh, the hospital for special surgery and saw a foot and ankle specialist there, um, that was recommended to me by a friend and, um, you know, talked with him, spoke with him, ended up doing a PRP injection and then was in a boot for a lot of the fall. And then around the off season time, um, you know, I kind of just started to train. So I would say. Ann Arbor was kind of a hopeful, like, let's see how this goes. And, um, you know, unfortunately it didn't go well. I entered it thinking, you know, the injury wasn't going to be as severe as it was. I didn't want to pull out, you know, the first tournament of the year because there's, you know, you only have two free ones per year and then, you know, you have to fill out medical forms and everything. So I was like, all right, whatever, I'm just going to go, you know, see if I can get through it. I feel good enough that I could get through like an hour and a half of practice a day. So, you know, I felt confident, like at least the matches maybe are going to be easier than the practice. I don't know. And then the consecutive days got me when I played my second round and then to the quarterfinal. Um, and then I ended up uh, taking more time off, went to a different rehab place, and then things kind of started to go up. So, um, yeah, right now I'm pain-free, and uh, so I'm thankful for that. 
Yeah, no, that's excellent to hear. And for you, you know, playing Ann Arbor, it's you making that decision. And this is something that seems to have been highlighted so frequently during this uh, pandemic uh, is the fact that, you know, the conditions and the compensation and all of the uh, things for players ranked outside of the top 100 is not the same for those ranked within it. And, you know, for you personally to not have any tournaments to play at this point, that wasn't something you could control early in the year. But I think with your injury, and correct me if I'm wrong, you would not have been able to use a protected ranking. So was playing in Ann Arbor something you felt, you know, you had to do just to sustain some points to build some momentum early in the year? Well, looking back on it, um, you know, probably the better thing would have been to not play and actually take the protected ranking because my protected ranking still would have been inside 200 at that point. Um, But, you know, I, I even thought about well, I didn't really think about it. I kind of ruled Aussie Open qualities kind of out, out of the picture just because I was I don't trust myself to go and, and compete at my highest level. So I'm not going to fly, you know, 16 hours to to kind of throw in the towel and collect the prize money. Um, you know, I mean, the money is good for qualities, but it's not good enough to waste 16 hours to do nothing, you know. Um, <laughs> so in my opinion, like Ann Arbor was kind of a test run. Um, looking back, it wasn't the smartest decision I made because um, now I am filling out a form for the protected ranking and it's going to be a lot lower because I played that one event. But, you know, I, I felt like it was it was just needed and, and I needed to stress my foot in a situation that, it, you know, because I basically babied it for the whole month of December and, and, you know, mid November kind of when the off season started, it was like, let's make sure I do everything I can to not have pain. So whether it would be hitting every other day or practicing two hours and then, you know, not hitting a ball for the next two days, it was like, you know, whatever I can do to get practice in and not feel pain and be able to walk. Cause you know, by the end, people that know me and saw what I was going through saw that I, could barely walk actually um on some days so yeah it was you know not the smartest move but you live and learn mm-hmm. no and again hopefully i know i speak for all of us tennis fans we hope you get back on the court safely healthily as soon as possible uh, of course for you to do that there will have to be events and we start yeah. to learn more and more each and every day that they're do you know they seem to be trying to make a push to play professional sanctioned love you know events during this 20, uh, 20 year. And, you know, I think I read yesterday that they're also trying to bring back some challengers, futures, ITF level events as well. And obviously all of the big news with the U S open and them not having qualities. Uh, but let's start with just your feelings in general. Are you someone who are, you know, are you looking for tennis to return in 2020? What are your current feelings about, you know, the state of the tour right now? Yeah. I mean, I think tennis needs, needs to return. Um, it's tricky because it's an international sport, you know, it's not like the NBA or it's not like the MLB where they can kind of, you know, lock you down every players in the States anyways. Um, you know, it's obviously hard for every sport, but for tennis, I feel like there's that extra layer of just, you know, internationalism, um, if that's a word. Yeah. So, you know, people coming from all over the world and into one place and especially to start it out kind of where the epicenter was in new york for the u.s um it's not easy but it also needs to come back because financially the tour needs it and obviously the players 
who aren't at the top of the game need it also, having no income for a long time. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's going to be tricky. It's kind of, you know, it's going to suck, obviously, but I think at the same time it, it needs to happen. And, you know, I'm for the decision in that way, but there's going to be, you know, obviously you can't leave the hotel in New York and you're kind of stuck and you're sort of like a zoo animal for a month for the people that are playing Cincy in U.S. Like that's not obviously fun and you don't want to deal with that, but these aren't normal circumstances and kind of everyone needs to adjust. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to conflate these two points of view in the point I'm about to make, but you know, your friend uh, Mitchell Kruger was kind enough yesterday to go on the record and he talked about his frustration with the cancellation of qualies and how you know even beyond the ten thousand dollar paycheck that is being reported around, you know, reported that the U.S. Open might send to people who would have otherwise participated. The idea that the U.S. Open is you know for so many players their opportunity to shine, to break through, make a big jump on the yeah. professional stage. Uh, but then to your point, as you mentioned, I think you nailed it as well. Uh, if, if you want tennis to continue it, to exist as a professional organization, it needs to make some form of revenue during this 2020 season. And there's no greater sum of revenue in one swing than you get at the Grand Slams. And that's why they have always been the most likely events to return. Uh, in terms of playing the U.S. Open without qualies, I again, I'm not exactly sure if your ranking would put you in position to get into the qualies draw this year. But, you know, are you someone who is even without the qualifications you're still pro them playing the u.s open not to say that mitchell's not but just curious your perspective yeah you know i mean i think it's it's obviously a decision they made for you know whatever reasons they had is is their reasons i mean do i think you know is it fair no but you know because i i've had a lot of runs in in slam qualities and i've qualified for a lot of slams so yeah, to get the the first round qualifying check is, you know, it's good. And obviously the players deserve that. But, you know, these are also players that could make a run through qualies into the second round or possibly third round or, you know, and that's that's then we're talking about a, a you know, different check at the end of the tournament for them or points and ranking moves and everything. But, you know, I, I, I just think it's uh you know, there will be tournaments, there will be challengers. I was told that. So there will be opportunities. Um, you know, so it's just obviously it's, it's sucky, but you know, I think the problem is, is, you know, we're all self-employed, right? We're all independent contractors. So when we have these meetings and we have these talks, I feel like first and foremost, every player thinks of themselves first and what's best for, you know, that particular player, which is great because it's an individual sport and <laughs> that's what you need to do, right? It's all about you. It's all about me. It's all about, you know, my foot coming back. It's all about Mitchell and his, you know, how he's trying to improve his game. But at the end of the day, we do all play the same sport and in order to make money, we need the sport to continue. So in a situation like this, Whichever way is the best way for it to continue, you know, that's got to be the way it's going to be. So, you know, if they don't, if they would have played qualies instead of Cincy, like, I don't really see the difference in why Cincy was superseding qualies, but obviously there could be money for USTA involved or broadcasting rights. You know, there could be various reasons, but, um, you know, this will help push tennis into next year because it, it, it could have maybe gotten bad if the year stops and that's to say that i mean the year could still stop if things get worse again and whatnot but you know 
I think um, the U.S. Open is trying their best to make the tournament happen and give the player and players an opportunity to make money and make points. And that's really the trickier part is the points. But, um, you know, they're they're doing what they think is best. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, you know, I, I actually reached out to Mike Russell because, I mean, you know, Mike's obviously part of Aerobar along with all of us. And, I mean, he's, I believe, the only guy to ever go through the qualities in four consecutive Grand Slams in the same year. And, I mean, his best tournament ever, he was down match point first round qualities and got to the round of 16 of the French. And so it's, it's definitely a tricky concept and idea of, you know, you're, you're definitely taking away an opportunity from – from guys that are not, I mean, no one's pigeonholed into losing in qualities or losing first round. It's uh, right. But at the same time, yeah, like you said, I guess whatever can keep the sport going. Um, they've done the same thing with Kalamazoo now with cutting the draw back and, you know, to 128 from 224, whatever it's gone to, which, you know, yeah, it's uh, tricky, but it's, I think it's the only way that Kalamazoo is going to happen. So. Yeah, I mean it's it's you know it's a tough period. Some things definitely aren't fair, but I think we all just kind of need to accept that and and do what we can to you know make it better for when we do start playing again or you know go about having tournaments again. Yeah, sure. no, I, I think uh, I think that's a really fair point, and I know um, you know for uh, you and right now Bjorn and there are exhibition events going on around the globe but you know have you been able to simulate that environment that competitive environment do you feel because tennis it feels like when it's coming back it's going to come back pretty quickly right they're going to try and have as many events as possible in as short a time frame as possible what have you been doing to you know stay in shape stay ready competitively to get back on the court well, I played a bunch of the uh, the top notch matches that they had, and they actually had them here in Orlando. So I played a bunch of those, and um, that was fun to just kind of play matches again because it had really been my first one, you know, since Ann Arbor, and before that, kind of basically, yeah, carried New York. Um, but yeah, I played a lot of those, and then you know, I took this time period to really um, when I was practicing because at first, it, you know, obviously wasn't every day; it was just kind of very specific um you know things that i wanted to work on some you know serving work stuff like that and then you know i really uh hit the fitness pretty hard and i just wanted to make sure that you know when i did start practicing full that i didn't have to do any catch-up work you know in terms of uh you know my fitness and i wasn't you know getting tired in practice and have to kind of do the whole rebuilding phase kind of when you come off from like you know the off-season vacation time um so i didn't want that to happen so i worked physically really really hard um and you know with pain free in my foot i was free to kind of do what i wanted um or what was told of me and um you know so that that was great i feel fit i feel strong um so now it's just a matter of uh i guess having those what eight nine weeks to get ready for whatever is going to be first so bjorn we uh you and i not that long i'm not even sure when it was right before this quarantine happened i was in uh, i was in orlando where you were training yep. and you know you mentioned you've been cooking and doing all kinds of stuff and you and i sat down and talked and um i know you, you know you mentioned to me that you really started dialing in your nutrition as well you started testing different things what you were eating on core what you were eating at home what was affecting your body what wasn't um, if you want to dive into that a little bit and share with everybody 
kind of the things you found out by going into a much deeper process with with nutrition yeah so you know i always you know i I grew up loving food i come from a massive italian family and obviously you know food is like very coveted you know it's you celebrate with food you everything you eat you know you basically grow it um you know had a huge garden growing up my grandma you know had another massive garden was always bringing fresh vegetables and we had peach trees in our yard and stuff like that so you know i i really always had a appreciation for for food and um when i first got hurt um back in the fall of last year i uh you know i've always kind of had minor stomach issues here and there when i was traveling around and you know to various places you're always constantly eating out at restaurants you know etc so someone recommended this book to me it's called beyond training by ben greenfield and you know if people that are going to listen to this know him he's a little bit kooky you know he's he's a quirky guy but um he's really smart and he's you know he looks like a specimen so i i kind of you know read a lot of his stuff and articles and listen to a lot of his podcasts so i didn't know who he was i read this book beyond training and they kind of take a whole dive into you know four parts of you know kind of exercise nutrition sleep you know the brain stuff like that and i was kind of just in shock of how many um not necessarily that i was eating bad but just like you know, I didn't know necessarily that like vegetable oils, like canola oil, vegetable oil, that kind of stuff was very inflammatory. And, you know, obviously if we have inflammation, we get injured. And I was like, okay, this makes sense. And other things, other ingredients kind of cause some, you know, stomach distress and stuff like that. So I kind of really, since I had all the time in the world on my hands, not doing anything, kind of dove into this whole, uh, you know, world and, and really started to kind of, uh, get interested in, in the food and the nutrition. And, you know, I don't want to say I changed a lot about my diet, but I definitely cleaned things up. I started looking at, you know, ingredients of things that I buy and, and really was just kind of more conscious of wh- what I was eating, why I'm eating it. And, you know, kind of looking at food more of a tool than just eating for nutrition. Um, and, you know, I kind of, uh, yeah, I took a deep dive into it and, you know, maybe it, it's helping me. I, I think it's helping me. I, I feel great. Um, but, yeah, it was fun and just kind of got my mind off other things and especially the injury. And then, um, yeah, you know, still going strong with it. So it's it's been fun. It's been interesting. And even Madison now, you know, has kind of followed my footsteps when she grocery shops like without me she's constantly looking at labels and things like that so you know it's i mean it's beneficial and it can only help really so yeah it's uh that's kind of how it started nice what's the uh what's your go-to dish then man what are you making that's it's good uh you know people people uh ask me that all the time and i always (laughs) say the same thing i'm like i don't know i can i can do a lot uh, not to sound too cocky, but you know, I grew up with both my parents in the kitchen. Um, my dad's a great cook, so is my mom. So I just so kind of not like your game, like you said, not no stress. No, yeah. Once again, <laughs> a lot of a lot of good skills, but no signature dish. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've I've, I've posted a lot of things through this quarantine period on on uh, Instagram and a lot of the stuff that like Maddie's posted as well, stuff that I've made. So. It's all edible. It looks good. We're still alive, um, you know, and it tastes good too. We should follow him then, Gob. I unfollowed him a bit ago. <laughs> yeah, 
all new, you know, because it was something that I wasn't training for. And, uh, you know, here I am today. I don't regret anything. It is what it is. So, you know, I'm going to be 27 next month and, you know, feel mature. And, and you know, the latter part of my career, I feel like we'll, we'll be good. Yeah, and sure. in, in regards to what you just said about the uh, transition, you know, when you were playing, you won the French, you won the Futures, and then you, you know, were like, this tennis thing is pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think, you know, the biggest difference, the biggest difference from making that transition from going to the Futures level and winning Junior French Open, what do you think these guys – on tour doing so much better the details you know from is it nutrition fitness is it all of it mental stuff is it you know there's just the finer details of the game that they're putting in just that extra work is that I, what mean, you I, feel? I don't even know if it's extra work you know it maybe it's more detailed work maybe you know they just see their game better understand themselves better but the thing that i think you know that now with novak and rafa and roger and and, you know, even Warinka, you know, those guys, I mean, they set the bar so high that even guys, you know, 100 and, and below are exceptional tennis players. And, you know, with the era that we're in, I feel like I am I would put money on the fact that, you know, guys who are 100 in the world right now are better than guys that were 100 in the world 20 years ago. And. And I think that's just kind of how the sport was because those guys, you know, set the bar so high and, you know, that's what we're striving for every day is to kind of chase them, whether we're going to get there or not. And most of us aren't, but, you know, I think, um, man, everyone's just, everyone's good. Everyone's great. You know, everyone's a really good tennis player. And, you know, I think it's just a matter of getting your opportunities when you do, you know, and, um, and you take them tennis Sangren, for instance, you know, making Aussie open quarters twice. I mean, that's a perfect example of getting an opportunity that, you know, you take it and run with it. And he'll tell you the, you know, the first time he did it, you know, you play, you know, you have a good first round and then Warink is injured, you take him out and then, you know, you play team on hard who, you know, isn't team when you play him on clay and, you know, you kind of just, he took his opportunities and he played awesome. And I think this year, you know, he, it was a lot harder of a draw and he did it again. And, you know, he's a perfect example of that. So I think everyone's got to be ready all the time and you never know which week could be that week. Yeah, no, for sure. What, um, you know, we've talked about the nutrition and all that. What, you know, you've experimented a lot. What do you think for you and in general for players, what do you think the, most important parts and most important nutrients and nutritionals are for a tennis player? I mean, I think definitely first, if we're talking about food, we're, I would say carbs, obviously, um, you know, but I don't think we need to pound them as much as other people say we do. Um, but it's definitely a huge part. And I think good carbs, you know, not your white pasta and, your white rice, you know, something complex that's going to stick with you a little longer, you know, on court, obviously like your bars or, you know, if somebody doesn't like to eat food while they're on a changeover, like a good gel or something that's a little more organic that doesn't have a lot of this in there. Um, but yeah, you know, and then obviously, you know, just eating good 
food. I think, you know, that's, that's the hardest part. You know, it's like, do you want the, the burger from in and out, you know, or five guys when you're at Kalamazoo, you know, when you don't really think it matters or do you want something that's going to, you know, benefit you not just for tennis, but for overall health, you know, and I think that's the, that's the most important thing, right. Is our health. So, you know, tennis won't last forever. Um, but I think, you know, and then obviously, you know, the electrolytes, it's hot. We, we chase the sun, you know, so, you know, having a, a drink that you trust is also huge. And I've kind of messed around a lot through this quarantine period with some different powders and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's definitely been a time where I, I've tested a lot of things out. Um, but yeah, I think definitely carbs, protein, you know, and, and good fats also, you know, everything plays a role. It's just, you know, what is, uh, what is good for you in particular? Yeah, for sure. We've, um, you know, we've had Jay, we've had Berger on recently and Mike, Mike Russell on and, and they've been talking about how much it changed that, yeah, we used to just, I mean, Jay coached Andrew and I both in college and it was, um, yeah, make sure you eat a big, huge plate of pasta the night before. And yeah. It. Um, and, and that wasn't Jay being wrong or us being wrong. That was what everyone said we were supposed to do. So it's, it's, it's changed a lot. Um, those guys also, I asked them always the same question. You know, you, you started playing tennis when you were, you were really young. You're very, very focused on the fitness and nutrition now. Like, was there a specific moment that was like that light, light switch moment, either a loss or cramping or whatever, where just flip that switch and you really started prioritizing the fitness and nutrition? Well, uh, you know, I would say, I would say, well, I mean, if we're really going to talk about the nutrition, I would say maybe it's when I got injured, you know, last year, but I would say that's, now I'm definitely more anal about it. I was always pretty conscious about it, but you know, if I had a little, you know, ice cream at a tournament or something at night after dinner, I wouldn't think twice where now maybe I would, but, um, the fitness, I mean, when I turned pro, it's a whole different ball game. So, you know, I moved to Boca Raton and started training there when I was 19 and, and I was behind, you know, I was behind in, in the fitness. My tennis was ahead of my body. So, you know, it was a little bit of a hit to the ego, but, um, you know, I was always not, you know, the very last, but if we ran sprints, I was, you know, kind of the last one. I was sort of the weakest one when we did, you know, weight training. I was always like kind of playing catch up, but, you know, on court, then it was a different story. But, um, you know, and then it's just you, you have other guys pushing you. So I think it, it kind of became like a competition in my mind. I'm like, okay, I'm just, I'm not fit enough. So I need to get stronger. I need to get faster. I need to, you know, last longer. And, and, um, you know, then you just obviously it's a whole different game when you're playing professionally because of the duration that you're on the road also. So you don't want the body to break down. And if I had two good results, you know, in two weeks, I was kind of fried. So, you know, if I had a four week trip, that can't happen either. So I think it was just for many reasons, I, I kind of learned pretty quickly after I turned pro that, you know, I was behind and, and then, you know, I, I think now, you know, being 26, it sort of, I don't know if I want to say that it, it messes with me mentally that if I'm not as fit as possible that, you know, maybe it's kind of more like a, I think back to when I was young and I was behind. Um, so I think it kind of pushes me to always, you know, just make sure that part of 
that part of myself, that box tick, that box is ticked. So, um, yeah, I would yeah. say it was pretty soon. Yeah, no, it's interesting how many, I mean, and, and Jay, for what it's worth, said the same thing. I mean, that as much of an animal, I mean, you, you've been around Burger. Um, yeah, he's insane. He said he actually didn't start really prioritizing it until he was injured um, one of the years on tour and couldn't really hit a bunch of balls, so he crushed it in the gym for, for a couple months straight. That that's actually the best fitness he ever had and then had his best year. Um, so, it's yeah, it's it's interesting how it comes about i'm actually maybe tomorrow's my light switch i'll get super fit but um, <laughs> who, 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 who knows? um but yeah no and that's on the yeah. tennis side what is your is winning the french your best tennis memory or do you have uh, uh just an individual win that's the best memory what is it well i don't know i would like to say that i've, I've done you know my my career is not decorated but i, I definitely have some good moments um <laughs> you know i would say playing novak both times in indian wells you know, even though they're losses, I would say they're good memories, especially the first time I won the first set, um, you know, playing. That was kind of 2016. That was my first time on, like, a real, real big court night session on TV, you know. And, um, and you know, that was a great moment. Playing him again last year, second round, you know, I was obviously the moment at that point didn't really get to me. But it was another good match. You know, it was a competitive you know, competitive match qualifying for Wimbledon, uh, is a memory, you know, that I'll never forget. Cause I really hate grass courts. Um, and, <laughs> and I also made the semis of Newport one year, which is pretty ironic, but, um, yeah, you know, there's a lot of various memories that I have, but definitely probably the two Novak matches are the ones that I will hold with me. Cause I, I think he will end up being the greatest player ever. So, uh, you know, to play in both when he was world number one twice is pretty cool. Yeah, those are pretty I feel good. like, yeah, I feel like we shouldn't let that slide. You're on team Novak in terms of the greatest player uh, in men's tennis history. I'm on team Novak for a, a lot of reasons. Um, you know, I mean, if we're on this podcast talking about food and stuff, I mean, you can't find another guy that's as dialed in as him. <laughs> um, you know, I, I mean, I think, look, he's, you know, into the spiritual stuff as well, which that doesn't, you know, roll for everyone. But if it works for him, that's great. But he's the most complete tennis player anyone's ever seen. And he does everything well. His movement is exceptional. And, you know, I think it helps him that he doesn't quite get the respect he deserves just because of Roger and Rafa. But I, I stand with it that I think when it's all said and done, he'll have the most slams. What if those two matches at Indian Wells were against Rafa? Would you be on Team Rafa? <laughs> you know, maybe, but um, I don't know. It's just, it's just different. He's a different guy because you just feel like, you know, Rafa on grass, maybe someone can get him. Or Rafa indoors, someone can get him. Or Fed is... You know, sometimes he can have a match where he just makes error, error after error, you know, and then it's like Novak, you know, who's going to beat him? Yeah. Like on any surface, yeah. on any day, it's like, who's going to, who's going to win? Yeah. Probably no, I, I Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I also, I don't know if you've played Rafa or not in your career. I, I feel like that topspin forehand into your backhand absorbing that spin, I feel like that's a better matchup for you than maybe Djokovic or Federer, for whatever that's worth. I mean, maybe. Yeah, I've never hit with him. I've never played him. Um, 
you know, I've heard some horror practice stories that he's insane <laughs> in practice. Um, but Novak, the thing about him too is he lets you play. You know, you you don't yeah. feel bad. You're you're kind of comfortable in the rally hitting the ball, and then you look at the score, and it's like you know your two breaks down. Um, yeah. So he just fundamentally is just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. No, and you know certainly they, those three have separated themselves, distinguished themselves from everyone else right now in men's professional tennis. But a comment you made earlier, I just wanted to follow up on. You talk about how many good tennis players there are right now, and as some, you know, I like to think I've followed the game pretty closely, at least especially over the past ten years. It does feel like the gap between player number. I mean, you could probably even go as high as maybe number two fifty, maybe even top three hundred on any given day can beat the player that's ranked number 50 and I just feel like that's more prevalent now than ever I mean is that a fair assessment have things you know do you think there's more parity now than maybe when you started in pro tennis yeah I mean I think you know yeah 250 to 50 is is not that different you know and I Mm -hmm. think top 50 you start to kind of separate a little bit but um yeah I mean you know like I said everyone's everyone's good and you you see some of these guys in the challengers and you know obviously there's a reason why they're there but you know it's it's just it's not from ball striking you know mm-hmm. there's there's other there's other reasons and only that player knows what they are but yeah it's definitely not from just being a tennis player because everyone's mm-hmm. good yeah, no, I mean, you talk about those off-court things. One of the things we've stressed in this podcast is the nutrition and the fitness side. Uh, but, you know, when I was looking through some of your past accomplishments, of course, you win that Junior French Open 2011. And then, you know, July of that 2011, you make your first finals at the Futures level in Pittsburgh. And I'm sure for you to be able to do that in your home uh, state, that meant just that much more. But how much of it comes down to, as you mentioned, the extracurricular things, such as, you know, nutrition and fitness fitness and you know ultimately confidence as well i feel like you're making that final at the futures had to have had something to do with your confidence probably in your game at that point yeah yeah i mean at that point yeah i felt like the coolest guy on earth um (laughs) at that point but yeah i mean i think you know the thing about this job is even when you turn off you're not turned off right so it's like you know what are you gonna do to get better it's like people that have your everyday job or or whatnot you know it's like okay you go to work you come home you kind of shut off you know my parents for example for instance you know but it's like for me when i go home when i see friends family it's like even so you know well you know i don't want to stay out too late or you know just it's always in the back of my head you know so i think yeah the extracurriculars it's 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 huge, you know, and, and yeah, whether it's fitness, nutrition, you know, like your mind, where, where your head's at. I mean, so many variables go into it. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. And, you know, uh, I, that's, you know, the burden, I suppose, of being a professional tennis player is that's what makes you guys you for sure. Um, I do want to have, a, you know, ask you a couple of fun questions here down the home stretch. And, you know, I mentioned Mitchell earlier. He's a guy I'm fortunate enough to get to textbooks a little frequently. I have his answer to this question. I want to hear your answer uh, from both perspectives. A, what do you think he said is your worst quality as a roommate? My worst quality. Um, hmm. I'm the answer is going to surprise you. My worst quality. Well, I was a lot. I would say I was a lot cleaner than him. Um, <laughs> but 
you know, there were times where I'm, I'm much more like if there's an issue or I wanted something a certain way or if, you know, there was a bunch of old stuff in the fridge or whatnot, like I would kind of just directly like tell him like, dude, what are you doing? You know, come on. <laughs> um, so I don't, I don't know. What, what did he say? So his answer, and I have permission to give you the dirt, he said it's your cooking. He said it's the various smells. He said it's just everything that's going on. It's a lot to handle. Yeah, I mean, well, I did cook for him for four years, five years straight, so a little appreciation would go a long way. Yeah, no, he then said to say, just kidding, I just would want to hear his reaction. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, that's exactly, I think, what he's looking for. All right, what would you say is his worst trade as a roommate? Um, messy, <laughs> messy, and he, and he would love to come home from practice and just like, just he wouldn't shower like right away, and he would just <laughs> not necessarily that he would like sit on the couch and like dirty clothes or whatever, but he would like take to the floor or something and just like sit in like the clothes <laughs> that he practiced or like did his gym workout in for like an hour if not longer, sometimes he'd like end up falling asleep. <laughs> and I'm just like, what are you doing, dude? It's like, go take a shower. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I would say messy and, 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 you know, that, that would probably best describe it. Yeah, no, I think he would also, he accepted messy. He said he also would have accepted the fact that he never changed his forehand as much as people would have liked. Um, that would have been the other acceptable answer from him for, you know, quality improved Damn. as a roommate. Why? Wow, yeah. Okay. No, no, no. That was a joke from me. I would say that to your face, Mitchell. You know that. So, you know, I don't feel bad saying it on the podcast. Um, no, for you now, I know, obviously, well publicized the fact that you live with Madison Keys. Uh, have you been able to practice with her at all throughout this quarantine? Has that helped? Yeah, we hit a bunch. Um, I would say through the quarantine process, we probably went together once or twice a week. Um she doesn't love hitting with me just because of the spin aspect of things. Um, but you know, I mean, obviously she's a great player, so the practices are fine, you know? And I think for me, um, balls that I struggle with are lower, flatter balls. So, you know, that's what she does best. Um, so I can really kind of work on things when I, when I practice with her. So for me, it's, it's, I take it pretty, you know, it's beneficial for her, she doesn't love it. Um, so, you know, she can handle it for a day or two, a week, um, and then she gets pissed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the first to suggest it, but it's like, hey, let's go play a grounded game to 15 to see who do the, does the dishes. And then she's like, no, 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 be orange. Yeah, no, the dishes. no points. Like, oh, okay. We'll play some slice games sometimes. And, and you know it always ends up with her getting mad so we don't play too many points we do a lot of drills she loves to make me suffer so she'll move me side to side stuff like that so um you know it's all fun mm -hmm. No, I, I totally complete that. And again, this is all a setup for me to ask another question courtesy of Mitchell better roommate him or Madison <laughs> oh I mean well I mean can you compare um <laughs> If we're talking about Messi again, no, Madison is more anal than I am. Um, <laughs> and she's very, very uh, organized in terms of like even the the pantry or the, you know, 
the uh, cabinet stuff like, like that like you know if it's behind closed doors it's it's whatever you know but you know she's got you know bins and all kinds of stuff so she uh yeah she had somebody come here that have you ever seen like the Marie Kondo thing on like Netflix sure Anyone? I'm, I'm no? tangentially no. familiar yeah so like she had kind of like one of those similar sort of companies come here so there were like two ladies that came to, to her house um you know that just organized the entire place and now it's like, like if something's out of you know out of organization she's like pissed off from me <laughs> but you know i try to do the best i can but i also i have a townhouse that we actually like almost live on the same street so um so yeah through this quarantine process we kind of just you know you know i have my i have my space if i need it but for the most part we've been together the whole time no that's awesome to hear yeah that no that sounds like so much fun and i'm sure you know when she goes after your aero bar stash you're like no no no, you got to leave that where it is that's in its, its specific place and you know that's my way of asking you know uh you know how did you get involved with aero bar and what are the things you know that attracts you to them as a product well there was one time um this was years ago when the first bars were made that i was actually in tampa and i was with dennis kudla and he had gotten sent I don't know if it was like a full shipment or if it was a uh, just some test bars. And, you know, I think I, maybe Mark had wrote a note in there. And obviously I'd played his future, his club a bunch of times. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, you know, they made a bar. That's So he gave me one and, and I ate it. And, you know, I, I, th- I thought the old bar was pretty good. Um, so I, I reached out and, you know, they were happy to uh, send me some bars over and, that's kind of how it happened. Yeah. No, I mean, that's awesome. I myself am a honey cinnamon guy, um, but, you know, I, I also enjoy the chocolate chip as well. I feel like, especially because when you're a tennis player, and are you someone who feels the need to, you know, and this was something I never did, but are you someone who is actively eating, you know, during matches, adding fuel to, uh, you know, I suppose your system? It kind of depends. Um you know, it kind of depends if I'm, you know, where I am on the schedule, if it's, you know, how's the weather, how's the climate. Um, but yeah, I would say I would, I'll nibble, you know, maybe I don't finish a bar during like a two out of three setter, but yeah, I definitely, um, you know, I'll eat, but if I'm in a slam or playing a best of five set match, then yeah, I, I will eat because I'm, I'm preparing as if it's going to go five. Um, you know, and I need the fuel. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's where the bars come into place. I'm more of a chocolate chip fan myself. Um, but yeah, both flavors are good. Um, you know, and I and I just eat them kind of when I'm around at home too. If I'm hungry, or you know, if I go somewhere and you know, I just maybe I'm in the car and I'll get hungry. I, I you know, I, I use them just variously. It's not like when I'm just training. So. It's a perfect bar to just kind of, you know, it's got what you need and, you know, obviously ingredients that I trust, um, you know, and it's not something that I'm like, oh, okay, I'm on the court or I'm in the gym, now I can eat it, you know, it's something I could have if I don't want to necessarily eat breakfast, I could just eat one of those and, and you know, I'm, I'm okay if I'm not having a very, like, strenuous day, so, you know, it fits into a lot of areas. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Again, that's why we here at Cracked Rackets are so excited to be associated and to get to work with our friends at Aerobar. Uh, Mark Adrian, I feel like that was a pretty good answer. Yeah, no, that, that's why he has more bars on the way. Hey, um, <laughs> whatever. I don't even know if I'm allowed to like say this or if it's top secret or not. But like, what about the uh, the what was it? Lower bake time with the one you gave me when you were here in Orlando, Andrew? Yeah. No, yeah, those no. are uh, those are out. Those are out and active, so it's no secret anymore. So they're so yeah. you're making them. That's that's it. Yeah, yeah, those are what you'll get. Oh, yeah, they're on the way. Awesome. Hey, they're, they're delicious. Yeah, the, yeah so, <laughs> when you gave so, me one of those, those were yeah, those were good. Yeah. So when I saw Bjorn in Orlando, I gave him some of the new product, and we came out with you know a bar with a lower bake time, so they're a little bit softer, a little bit. You know, they just taste a lot. They just taste a lot better. There's no difference in the ingredients. We just lowered the bake time. And um, as Bjorn said, there's a, there's a definitely a taste difference. They taste great. So. No, I, I absolutely agree. And again, for listeners who want to learn more, be sure to go check everything out at aerobar.com. Uh, last question for you, Bjorn. I know I myself am currently rocking a quarantine beard um, that is just hideous at this point. Uh, but you're a guy who's never been afa- afraid to rock the facial hair. I'm curious, have you gone all out Elvis Dumbledore with your beard during this period, or have you, you kept it groomed? You know what? I'm in the process um growing it back now. Um you know, now that like barber shops are open and stuff, you know, I feel like if you're gonna have the beard, your your hair's got to be on point. You know, so like obviously <laughs> through all those months of not getting a haircut, you know, it started to look a little shaggy and and long. I actually, for the most of quarantine, was clean shaven, um, and that's what I did. So I feel like yeah, if you, if you know, if the hair is good, you you can have the beard because then you know you don't have that homeless look going, but. <laughs> you know, if the hair, if the hair is everywhere, then yeah, I'll, I'll go clean shaven. No, I like that. You zig while everyone else zags. Everyone's growing quarantine beards. You're going cleanly shaven. That I think that's a perfect place to end. If I was to describe you in a nutshell, it's that fact. Um, but no, <laughs> Bjorn, you know, this has been such a blast. Obviously, a huge thank you to you for taking the time to chat with us. Hope again, you stay safe, you stay healthy. And I know I speak for all of us when I say we look forward to seeing you back on the court sometime soon. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks, man. Yeah, of course. Yeah, take care, man. Thanks for coming on. Alrighty, see you guys. Have a good night. Hope all of you enjoyed another edition of Getting to the Point. And again, a big thank you to Bjorn Fertangelo for taking the time to chat with us. A huge shout out to our friends over at Aerobar, Andrew Golub, Mark Aerosmith, who, again, continue to deliver with the guests four episodes in. And I have enjoyed each and every one of them so much. Hopefully you listeners have as well. And if you're interested in Aerobar, you want to ensure you are have the proper nutrition you need to make your return to the court a successful experience. Be sure to go check out their website, aerobar.com. I promise you're going to take one bite of that aerobar and you're going to buy in. You know, chocolate chip is that basic flavor, of course, but I promise you all those cinnamon honey oat aerobars are the ones you want more than anything. They really are delicious. I mean, they're both delicious, but I'm a cinnamon honey oat guy and it lives up to the job every time. And so go to aerobar.com to save 15%. Use our promo code CRACKED15. It is a decision you will not regret. I guarantee you. You 
that. And again, uh, continue to look forward to these Arrow Bar getting to the point episodes each and every Thursday here on the mini break. The guests will continue to be as fun as ever. I can promise you listeners that. A couple of other things just to touch on before we wrap today's episode. Uh, Again, there's a lot of moving pieces right now throughout the professional tennis world. Scheduling related, U.S. Open related, player relief related, union talks, all of these different things, exhibition events. It's impossible to balance it all. So we here at Cracked Records try to do our best to offer you different episodes focusing on all of these different things. Excuse me. See, there are so many events I'm even getting overwhelmed. But, you know, on our Great Shot podcast, again, Gil Gross earlier in the week, he and I talked about UTS and the initial U.S. Open news. Ben Rothenberg joined me today to talk about the newest announcements, the more formalized uh, decisions by the U.S. Open, given they had their press conference this week. We talked about the ATP, the WTA schedules, what they tentatively look like, uh, as well as, again, the fleet of exhibition events going on. So be sure to go check out our Great Shot podcast to hear more about those things. Uh, Be sure to check out our Cracked Interviews podcast this week as well. If you are a college tennis fan, you're going to love it uh, because it's a University of Florida men's tennis-themed week. We have the All-Americans in both singles and doubles, Oliver Crawford and Sam Riffis joining us on the show. Uh, You know, for those two guys, uh, I continue to say it, but one of the biggest what-ifs of the past probably— I don't know, three, four, five years in men's college tennis is the fact that this Florida team, and you know, partially for circumstances out of their control, but with all the talent and depth they had that they didn't win a men's national title. And so to hear from Oliver, Sam, again, what was going on behind the scenes and, you know, how high level uh, the training sessions were, the practice sessions were, what incentivized them to go to Florida, uh, why the best is still yet to come, all of these different things. It's a great conversation. I know all of you listeners will enjoy. Uh, so be sure to go check those out on the Cracked Interviews podcast. And then, of course, our Inside Out podcast, where you can continue to hear our first season, where we talk about the best men's tennis players, that uh, the best American male tennis players, excuse me, uh, throughout the open era. And there have been so many of them. But if you want to hear more about those guys, you want to hear about the ones that captured the attention of fans the most, uh, be sure to go check that series out. We put a lot of work into it, and I know all of you will enjoy it. Uh, also, check out our YouTube channel, Hit and One, our video series following D1 player Alex Russian continues to get better and better. Of course, Overserve, CR Classics, our video interview still rocking and rolling. So go hit subscribe on that YouTube channel. You don't want to miss anything that we're doing moving forward. Uh, a huge shout out to our Patreon subscribers as well. Our Patreon mailbag episode in the queue, folks. I promise you that. So be on the lookout for it. It's one you're going to enjoy. I get into some non-tennis topics uh, courtesy of the questions asked by our listeners. And I think, uh, you know, for you Patreons again, it's an episode you are going to enjoy for you non-Patreon fans if that's something you're intrigued in. Uh, you can, of course, go check out our Crack Rackets Patreon. Again, we are so grateful to all of you who have taken the time already to contribute, to put your faith in us, to continue to try and deliver uh, the sort of tennis content that we think all of you tennis fans deserve. Uh, but with that in mind, again, the website is CrackRackets.com. All of the content, Circa, our super producers, Max Fleeker and Daniel Westoff, who have a f- of an editing job to do, as always, day in, day out, and they can continue to do that job with smiles on their faces so shout out to the both of them but if you need the more immediate updates twitter instagram facebook youtube it's at cracked rackets you want to message me directly and thank you to all of you who already have uh, feel free to at at great shot pod i love hearing from you listeners you know hearing what you guys want to hear us discuss hearing your feedback to our topics 
It's the sort of discourse that makes the tennis world just a better place. So shout out to all of you who do that. But with all that being said, again, for our wonderful guest Bjorn Fortangelo, our friends at Aerobar, Andrew Golub and Mark Aerosmith, our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. 